Hello, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Apology. <laughs> so we wanted to, I guess, apologize for what you're about to hear. Uh, nothing bad. We This is one of our earlier podcasts uh, where we were shooting in my dining room, actually. And apparently I do not know how to speak into the microphone real well. So my dialogue or my side of our conversation is not great. Echoey. It's not Disney. bad. You can understand me, and hopefully that you will you will understand that what I'm trying to say is obviously of great importance, and that you won't <laughs> matter that it sounds like I'm in a wind tunnel. Matters a little bit, but we promise that they have we have gotten a little bit better. Yes. So just this one you're about to hear is a little off. These were all recorded beforehand. Correct. Correct. So enjoy. We hope you. Uh, like it, please review and share and all that good stuff. Maybe wait till episode two. Yes, and I promise I will stop banging on the table uh, with my hand as well. Apparently, I do that as well. All right, with all those <laughs> seats in mind. So again, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And we apologize. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater... We suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. Oh my god, that's gross. Corey Feldman does not know how to eat a freaking pizza pizza. Completely changed the face of everything. It's It's very unique. I will give it that. Oh, thanks. I don't want to embarrass myself. Should I embarrass myself? No, that's... Please, no. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Shut up. I am embarrassed. Hi, I'm Mike Field. And I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to Forgotten Cinema. A podcast where we look back on movies that, for whatever reason, were lost to the sands of time, um, but we remember them fondly. So, we're not here to talk about Star Wars, Indiana Jones, any of those popular films. They've gotten their time in the limelight. We're here to talk about movies that, for some reason, whatever reason... Just as good. Yeah, just as good need to be rewatched. And maybe they don't need to be rewatched. That's that's what the, each episode's about, discovering uh, which movies uh, that we remember were so good that maybe we remember them differently and going back and uh, revisiting them. So just a little bit about us. Again, my name is Mike Field. I am a uh, writer, director, filmmaker. I have done several web series, uh, short films. I uh, did a feature. I've also written two books, one that just came out called Adam Parker and the High School Bully. But we'll save that for the plugs. And I'm Mike Butler. I'm an actor and writer based on the East Coast. I've been in a couple of projects that Mike Field over here has already done. That's me. I do a couple other podcasts, which, like he said, we'll plug later. Our day jobs are movie theater managers, so we both work at the same theater, and we have experience and uh, and a perspective not only from the creation of stories and, and films and movies, but also the exhibition side and audiences and just how they react to what they see on screen. So, And we also both love cinema. That's true. Let's get to what movie is today. Today, oh. we're going to be talking about... The, the Burbs. Oh, oh set that's up, right. Jerk. All, right. <laughs> All Tom Hanks wanted was a quiet vacation at home. This is what I need, Carol. I, I need this. Welcome to Mayfield Place. A typical street in the Burbs. Morning, Walter! Where nothing much ever happened. Walter's dog just took a dump on Rumsfield's lawn again. <laughs> Until the Klopex moved in. Klopex? Klopex. Klopex. No one goes in. No one comes out. Neighbors from hell. 
It was a nice place to live. He said he thinks the Klopex are evil incarnate. Well, you're much too smart to fall for that, aren't you, honey? But now... Carol! You wouldn't want to visit there. Ray, this is Walter. No! The Burbs. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Ray, do you want him to take your family, kidnap them, tear their livers out, and make some kind of satanic pate? We found Walter! We got a real problem. I hit the gaslight, I'd run! God, I love this street. Tom Hanks. I think we are overreacting. No. The Burbs. It's one hell of a neighborhood. Hey, honey. I think we should move. That's right. We're going to be talking about the 1989 cult classic, The Burbs, starring Tom Hanks, Carrie Fisher, Bruce Dern, Rick Dukeman, Corey Feldman, Wendy Schall, Henry Gibson, Courtney Gaines, who I remember from Can't Buy Me Love because he was the one that... Uh, they uh, ship back his house, which uh, Patrick Dempsey. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why I remember that so much, but that is classic eighty. So, so just kind of like a brief summary of the movie itself. If you don't know what we're talking about, uh, the Burbs is set in uh, one location, a cul-de-sac, Mayfield Place. Um, it's a small. I don't know if it's a small town. It's a suburb, and it all takes place on the on this one street. Like I said. And these new neighbors moving called the, the name the Klopex, and they're like they represent maybe those neighbors that are in everybody's neighborhood that you don't, you, you can their, their lawn is overgrown, or they don't take care of their, oh, yeah. their their exterior of their house, and they're just plain old creepy. Everyone's got one. And so this is about the almost I guess like a comment on the boredom of living suburban life and just being in everyone's business. Uh, Hanks uh, plays uh, Ray Peterson, who's suspects he hears a noise coming from the basement one night and he's not the only one his neighbor does as well art and they just all these neighbors get roped into trying to figure out what's happening because they believe that the Klopex have murdered one of their uh, one of the guys that Walter the guy that lives on the end of the cul-de-sac your neighbors are murdering people they're chopping them up they're burying them in their backyard Ray this is Walter no That's later on. Well, but yeah. but that's I mean they they think something's happening, right? They think they, they but and then that's the impetus for them to kind of like basically be like the no, the nosiest of neighbors because they they pretty much break and enter a couple times. Uh, I think yeah they're they're definitely. <laughs> um. So so yeah. So that that's that's I guess the gist of the story. Without you know we're going to reveal the ending anyways because th- this is an interesting one that we've selected mm-hmm. only because it's. I would say, like, I, the people my age know this movie. People that like movies right. uh, have always talked about this movie. So it's not a shock that, you know, I, the people like it. I think this is more, I guess, maybe people even younger than you maybe have never heard of this movie. This movie used to play all the time when I was a kid on, like, you know, cable stations and stuff like that. Like, the, the 6 o'clock movie night and stuff like that. Now I don't see it anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now no one really talks about it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think... When you said it was a cult classic earlier, I think it really is in that way. Like, something that was big before, and then kind of just petered out. Right, right. Well, I mean, let me, that'll probably segue into kind of 
uh, the facts of, of the movie itself, which I, we, I like to do. So this was released on February 17th, 1989, which, when I first read that, that was surprising because... Well, no, not surprising, because it clearly Universal didn't know maybe what to do with it, which is, as you and I both know, January, February are the dump months. And especially yeah. back... When we say dump months, a lot of times there are movies that come out that studios don't have a lot of confidence in, or they just really don't know how to... It's not a classic summer movie, or they don't think it's a classic summer mm-hmm. movie. So they put it in, you know, they, they try to give it some space, or they put it in, in, in months where there's not normally a lot of traffic, not normally a lot of business, it, well, business that is expected. Right. So um, January and February are usually that time, uh, and then October, September, October. Now, that's changed now. Yeah. Because you have a lot of, because February, because Valentine's Day has become a big time uh, mm-hmm. opening weekend. Even in January, you're getting a lot of the Oscar, le- I don't want to say leftover, but like the Oscar movies that have come out quickly before the end of December, just end of the previous year. Right, so the they Academy, up, yeah. Right, they end up getting filtered into the bigger theaters later. So like a movie like Green Book that came out, well, the Green Book came out in November, right? Yeah. Right, yep. Right. But let's say Green Book, let's say one of like a, an Oscar, somebody wants to get the Oscar movie out really quick. Mm-hmm. So they like, they release it in New York and L.A., on like December 25th or 26th. So that's not everywhere. That's just, it just has to be released in a theater or a certain number of screens yeah. for it to be qualified for an Academy Award. But then you'll start, if a movie has a lot of buzz or people want to see it, then you'll start seeing these movies pop in in January. So the idea that, they, that they're dump month is probably, at the present time, not great explanation or great description. But back then, in the 80s, I think it was. Right. Um, and I, if you remember, I... I didn't look this up, but I should have. I know this got pushed to February. I think it was supposed to be earlier or later in 88. I think it got pushed to 89, but it makes sense that it comes out here because 89 is the summer of Last Crusade, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, that, that's, a, that's a pretty big movie. Yeah, a little yeah, bit. As you know. So, <laughs> so yeah, so February 17th, 1989. It's 101 minutes, rated PG, which is interesting, I thought, after rewatch. A budget <laughs> of $18 million. It's opening weekend. It made eleven million, which was back then for late eighties. That's pretty good. Domestic gross thirty six million. Worldwide forty nine. Again, all good. Opened up against Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. <gasps> that is an awesome weekend. So I didn't that, know that. Right. So that weekend, <laughs> you had the Burbs and Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, and I remember seeing Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure in the theater, but I did not see the Burbs, which shame on me. In the theater. Directed by Joe Dante, who is also known for Gremlins, Inner Space, which might be, uh, I don't know, we could do on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like Inner Space. You know what's, uh, what's neat? And I actually wrote down in my notes. Um, at one point when they're eating breakfast at toward the beginning, Tom Hanks and Carrie Fisher sitting down with their kid, they're eating Gremlin cereal. I wrote that down as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, produced by Ron Howard on Imagine Entertainment. Written by Dana Olson. And I looked up his some of his other credits. And, I mean, he's got small credits here and there, but... The, the one thing that he has that's current is, I don't I mean, I have kids, so I see it all the time, is the Henry Danger series. Have you ever seen that? Yeah. Mm, can't say I Don't have. worry. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, we're not the target audience, so. And this is, the only thing about this, uh, with this movie is, this movie, Hanks is coming off of doing Dragnet and Big. And when, obviously when he did Big, that was, I mean, that was when he started to become Big. I mean, I yeah. guess you could, Dragnet's kind of like a, almost... Similar to the Burbs, a little bit more surreal, mm-hmm. but it's um, but Big was probably his first big 
part of the yeah, pod. I can't do it. So yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty much what I have in terms of uh, facts about the production. Uh, f- and so you know, if you, I don't know. I mean, I can I can pop in a couple other facts if you'd like, little uh, trivia facts if but, you'd prefer. Well, let's pepper them in while we go. All right, that sounds good. <laughs> All right, so why don't we get into what we well, liked or didn't like? Yeah, I actually, did come up with some didn't likes for this. Well, this nitpicky, but I did come up with them. I have a couple. Um, Shame on you. This movie's great, <laughs> right? <laughs> but before we start talking about go into detail about the movie, I think we should tell everyone to if you have not seen this yet. Oh, yes. The, the disclaimer. I always yes. forget this. Go ahead. Disclaim away. <laughs> uh, so, before you continue, stop the podcast. We'll pause it. Go watch this movie. It's, it's really quick. It's a really quick watch. Come back, and let's talk about it. Yeah, we don't want to spoil it for anyone, but we, again, we don't, want to, we don't want to not talk about what happens in the movie, because that's kind of important. Yeah. So, have you, have you gone and watched the movie yet? You're back? Okay. Welcome back. <laughs> Uh, so you want to start with some dislikes, or do you want to start with some likes? No, let's go likes. Let's, let's go. go. All mean, right. It's, it's a it's a lot of likes. So I mean, which is evident because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it's like I said, cult classic. So all right, I'll I'll, I'll start. With okay. Some stuff that I like. All right. One of the big things that I enjoy. One of one of the things that I like about this the, the movie is the, is the setting. Is uh, I think part and parcel with the fact that it's classic eighties. So I enjoy the fact that they're on the universe a lot. I enjoy the fact that I know it's a set. Like, I know, because you can see the hills behind them. Yeah. I mean, that that doesn't bother me, because I just, that's kind of like, oh, man, remember, so many stuff has been shot on this. Like, they're actually shooting, I believe their house is the house that they used in Dragnet. So, like, so, and, and, and for, like, I know that the house that Feldman is, um, Ricky, that's his character's name. Is, is painting is the Munster House and they don't show because that's why they don't show the house all that time because you'll notice it's the Munster House I, I was wondering that yeah, it's so all tight shots right so they don't ever show that house because they would be too recognizable you know what Ricky's last name is yes wait a minute I wrote it down go ahead tell me that's <laughs> uh, Ricky Butler uh, there you go. Are, you, are you related uh, yeah he's my he's, third he's an idiot he's my third imaginary cousin he's an idiot <laughs> he, but at least he's friends with Nikki Cat. did you catch that I did not catch that's, that uh, that's, that's the guy at the end with nice. here, but anyways um, so I enjoy the setting. I enjoy the house. And I, what's funny is you know me, and I have a low tolerance for what is working in the working in the uh, customer service industry. You kind of develop a love hate relationship with people in general, mm-hmm. not people you know. Obviously, we're, I don't hate people. I'm not a misogynist. I'm not a misogynist. I'm not a misanthrope. Excuse me. I'm not a misogynist either. Um, so. <laughs> But you do, you do when you when you work with the public, you do kind of get um, people don't like to hear no, basically. Right. So that being said, I've always liked the idea of living on a cul-de-sac. I like living in a neighborhood like that with neighbors that everyone knew and stuff like that. But again, mm-hmm. then again, I don't think I would like that because it's too intrusive. Yeah, I don't like neighbors getting in my business. Yes. So, I, so it's like I like I love the setting. And I'd like to think that I would like to live there, but I don't think I would be able to live there. Remember what you were saying about people in the burbs? Are people like Skip? People who mow their lawn for the eighth hundredth time and then snap! Well, that's us! It's not them! That's us! We're the ones who are vaulting over the fences and peeking in through people's windows! We're the ones who are throwing garbage in the streets and lighting fires! We're the ones who are acting suspicious and paranoid! We're the lunatics! Us! It's not them! 
But I do love the setting. So the the, the neighborhood itself, I right. enjoy. I enjoy that whole. And I think, that I, like I said, I think that has to do with a lot of the 80s nostalgia of being on the Universal lot. So <laughs> I really kind of like the way it's almost, you could almost do it like a stage play almost. It's, oh, yeah. it's very much a few characters. You could rotate the sets, redress sets. I mean, they do redress sets because I noticed Walter's house when they get and break into Walter's house. And then when they finally meet the Clopex, the house is the same house. It's just redressed. It's Walter's house with dust and more newspapers and the added, I guess, piping for the furnace. That's called production design. Right. It's the exact same house, which I noticed right away. Um, but I think it would be interesting to kind of do this as, I think it's doable as a stage play. You're just following these characters. You've got your acts for for sure. It's, it's very clear cut. The way everything's introduced, the way you introduce the characters, is very almost stage play like. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I think you could. You, you, what you're saying, what I'm hearing, is that you would like to do this stage play, perhaps a musical at some point. Absolutely. Uh, well, music. Uh, I, 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 I could see that. I could see the uh, Klopek refrain. Corey Feldman is the uh, the chorus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Well, you know, that's the other thing I enjoyed about the just when you talk about the introduction of all the characters, the ensemble performances, just them all working together. The, the that whole idea. I mean, it is primarily Hanks and Hanks movie, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, he's a he's clearly part of an ensemble in terms of when they're dealing with the Klopex. And you don't actually the Klopex don't have a lot of screen time. They no, do, I mean, very, very, very little. I mean, you see Gibson that one time, the Doctor when he when he comes up from the the basement when they go over. And then he ends up, Hank says to eat the, I'm sorry, Peterson eats the um, pretzel sardine. Oh my God. That's gross. Did you notice Wendy Shaw when they cut back to her and Carrie Fisher? She's not grossed out. She's almost laughing. Yeah. <laughs> well. She almost beefed that take big time. <laughs> but, but, you know, so you don't see the Clopex that much, but everyone else, you just, they're kind of just working in and out, in and out, you know. I, I enjoy. I enjoyed everyone working off of everyone. I thought that was great. And and the other thing I really liked about the movie was there are so many quotes, classic quotes from the movie. Oh, I, the half of my notes is just quotes. Yeah. No, absolutely. Like you know, like because it's in the trailer when he has the femur or yeah, when mm-hmm. he, and he's like Ray, this is Walt, and they do like the zoom in and out. Um, I, I I always I like uh, I like when uh, it, when they're in back to that scene when they're talking to um, they're talking to the Clopex for the first time. And uh, they ask him about what's downstairs, and he he screams at. He's like, "Oh, about a nine on the tension scale." <laughs> I thought that I, I couldn't stop laughing at that. Klopek, what is that Slavic? No. Oh, about a nine on the tension scale, Rube. Do most home furnaces go up to uh, five thousand? Uh, so yeah, so I, I I actually when I watched this, I did I had a list. I just have a list of like viewing notes. Mm-hmm. So basically, as I watched it, just wrote stuff down or typed stuff in. Um, the other thing that I like about it is the opening. Now I love the opening. That's those are models, right? When they come down, obviously the 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 planet's a model. When they go down to the name of the town is Hinkley Hill, which is not real, right? When they go down to Hinkley Hill, like go onto the uh, street. Mm-hmm. That, I, I'm pretty sure that's a model. Oh yeah, it's a cutaway model. Yeah, okay. that's what they used to go down. So, well, I couldn't tell when they transferred over to the house. When they get to the house and where the shift from a model, the model design to the house to the actual home, where that happened. 
I couldn't figure it out. I, was, I watched and I couldn't find it's it. It's probably because they go so fast. They don't They do not do a slow, all right, let's go. Well, they come in from space. But, um, <laughs> because of that, I think it's so quick you don't really notice. And I think they've matched up the crane shot that they obviously had to have used to get to get down into the uh, shot. Yep. I also I also love when the when the, the coffee the, the paper boy throws the paper at him throws the coffee throws at him, the, yeah. I would probably do that. I would, I would. It's a waste of your cup of coffee. But but it's to prove a point. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. You have to you have to be able to you have to be able to do that. <laughs> I just love the paper boy is how you meet all of your uh, your cast of characters. You yeah. meet them all very quickly. It just but, goes around the circle. And, and that, that that's a that's a perfect way to do that. Absolutely. See that much that, that kind of stuff. It's tough because it it is it it like I said it is even though it's Hank's movie and it's Ray Peterson's story it is an ensemble because you do have all these characters so mm-hmm. you want to introduce them in some way. That's the that's one of the best ways to do it. Absolutely, you don't you don't see that anymore in movies. It's usually like a slow burn. Like fifteen minutes later, you meet this character, or hey, in another scene, it's it's very unusual that in one scene you'll you'll meet your whole cast of characters and in how they get their newspaper you're introduced to how they are, their character um, quirks and kind of their likes and dislikes of, of how they treat each other. Right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know if this movie could be made today. That's interesting. I mean, it wouldn't be one, it wouldn't be one location. I don't know. Um, I mean, I guess it could be. Yeah. I guess, I guess you, I could see, some, I could see, I could see them remaking this. Not as, not as good. I could see this becoming a, like a five-part series on Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh, we're not um, oh, I think we're gonna. It's gonna have to be happen every time. <laughs> so, but, but yeah. I want to go back to your, the Gremlin cereal because I noticed that. But then mm-hmm. the other thing I noticed in the Gremlin cereal is there's actual Mogwai on the box, so it's not really a Gremlin cereal. It's a Mogwai cereal because Gizmo's on the box. Well, as soon as you put milk on him. Uh, well, well, no, he'd multiply. Water. Come on. That's right. So I mean, technically, <laughs> it, should, it should be Gizmo cereal. True, but it's gremlins themed. Well, I'm just calling both of them. Listen, we have to look it up. We have to see what kind of marshmallow shapes there are. Are there gremlins in the cereal? (laughs) Then I think we're all right. Stripes, little stripes. If anyone's listening and has an old box to send to us. <laughs> also, if you haven't seen Gremlins, stop the podcast. <laughs> if you haven't seen Gremlins, shame on you. That's pretty bad. Yeah. If you haven't seen Gremlins too, that's that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> right. How about how about this? How about the t- the the other thing that popped out at me watching um, was just the random gun violence of of Art coming into his backyard. Not and shooting, trying to go after that crow. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because because they're saying like the clopex brought the crows. Mm-hmm. And I, I admit, when he comes out on the gun, I'm like that. That's a BB gun, right? And it wasn't. It was like a rifle. And he's like firing at will in this back of the state. It's like oh, 80s. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Art, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> and I always. And, and this happens. I don't know if this. I guess this doesn't happen as much now. But like always in movies, when like he raids their fridge and he's pulling out all these like weird things, like the ribs. Absolutely, the yeah. Like I've always wanted to do that. Just go over someone's house, just pull random stuff out, and just start eating. What I like is I've had to eat stuff um, on stage before, and it's it's never warm. And it's always room temperature, and he eats a lot of this room temperature, soggy type food. He eats the the ribs. He eats the the pancakes, heats, he whatever shoved, the dog food was. Yeah, he's shoving that down. Yeah, it's like, and yeah, how many takes do you think that took? 
I don't think he minded. <laughs> I mean, don't they, they usually have a bucket on the side for him to spit it all out if he, so he doesn't swallow it. He eats a lot in like in one shot. He eats a lot of food, so he well, swallows some of that down. They um they improvised a lot too as well. So they did a lot. Like Hanks does that. Like he does a lot of. I wouldn't. He followed the script to a degree, but he does stuff differently. Mm-hmm. So they probably were just riffing there. I mean, I think uh, Rick Dickerman probably ad libbed a good chunk of his lines, but he was great in that movie. He's not, I mean, better or worse than in Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> or, he's always, he, this is, I I didn't look his uh, filmography up. I mean, I've got actually, it up right now. He passed away a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. I didn't look, but I, I always remember him from small parts, like the one in Die Hard and the one in um, Humphrey October. Because mm-hmm. he played, right? Was he the one that he played the helicopter pilot when he dumps, when he drops him off? Was that him? Yeah, because he's talking about how, oh, we were in more stuff like this. I was flying with some dude and he was blowing chunks all over the world. Right, was yeah. That Hunt for October? That was Hunt for October. His character's name was Navigator C2A. Awesome. But I always remember him from roles like that. I, I This is probably the only movie I remember where he had a uh, bigger part. He had an okay-sized part in Scary Movie as Cindy's dad. Mm-hmm. He, had, he had a few scenes, and he had a name, or his name was Cindy's dad. Nice. He did have um, a decent amount of scenes in that movie, if I remember correctly. What was the movie again? The Scary Movie. For the very first one. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. I saw Scary Movie once. Um, the other, speaking of shots, though, of when we were talking about the paperweight coming in, the other shot I liked that introduced everyone was when... They're behind um, Hans Klopek, Courtney Gaines. He's standing on the porch, and the, the it's a pan. It's a pan from everyone staring. Oh, at as him. he's looking at the neighbor. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was great too. That was a great intro to just not just it wasn't you're not introing the characters, but you're just kind of like they're just all looking at him. Right. I thought that was awesome too, in terms of like you know good shots and whatnot. It almost kind of establishes that idea for the first time because you're seeing the rest of the neighbors from the Klopex perspective. Yes. How almost they're the invasive ones. They're the monsters. They're just as suspect as the Klopex themselves in some of their behaviors. I think that's a a theme that's in this movie. Right, yeah. Even even though, like, because you're not, even though the Klopex were murderers, Mm -hmm. you know, but that's. You know, that's how that's how neighborhood. That's what happens in neighborhoods. You know, people just kind of like, not nah, say gang up, but you know, they, they get into everyone's business. Yeah, and, and and not just in neighborhoods, but in just general circles of people that you know, everyone's in everyone's business, and everyone's passing judgment. Yeah, I think at some point, you know, it, it can get out of control, and and you know, don't throw don't throw stones in glass houses, that kind of thing. That was that was definitely a, a, a big theme in that a theme in that, and also. The character of uh, Art, he's kind of like he's a bully. Like he's a classic loudmouth mm-hmm. bully in the neighborhood. But like, so when there was a moment when Ray goes over to his house and and Art is with Ricky and he's smoking, they're drinking beers. Which how old is Ricky in this movie? There's no way he's old enough to drink. He's got to be sixteen, seventeen, I would imagine. Yeah. So he, they're over there drinking beers, and he walks and. He starts walking over to him, and, and Art turns to Ricky, and, and he starts saying, like, oh, he starts talking shit on him. He's like, he's like right. your wife doesn't, he, he thinks his wife doesn't know or that he's over here smoking cigars or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so then it's just like, he's like, hey, it's like, uh, I thought this guy's your best buddy. And then he, then they're talking, and he just, like, 
gets on Ricky for laughing. Like, he just rips on Ricky again. Like, he's just kind of, like, ripping on everybody. And so he's not, like... Like, I would not hang out with a guy like Art. He wants to be the, uh... He wants to be the cool guy. Yeah. And, and I guess, I mean, they don't mention because it, it, it has... It's a nice joke at the end when, you know, his wife comes home and they're like, your house is on fire and your wife's home. And he's flipping over <laughs> yep. and his wife comes My home. wife? Yeah, but he never really... He's like, <laughs> his wife's not around. Yeah. Art! Your wife's home! And your house is on fire! My wife is home! And the other thing that I read about this was that they didn't they cut it out of the movie, or they didn't they had they didn't make references to it, but that Hanks is supposed to be fired from his job. Like Peterson was supposed to be he's not supposed to be employed anymore. Oh, he's not on vacation? Right, because the fact that he's on the vacation and then he's like, Let's go to the lake. So they're going on another vacation was also the evident. But there was stuff in there where he was so like he basically had gotten fired from his job and he never had told her and then he tells her and she's like, I know. Like like so they had dialogue in there. They they do kinda hint that he has Maybe not an attitude problem, but maybe like a stress problem, and that's why he's taking his vacation. It's there's something wrong with he's not in the right state of mind at the at the start, the very start of. Well, the, yeah, he uh, says he's got that stomach thing, which I assumed was an, his ulcers or something like that. Right? Yeah. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I find that interesting. That a that they had that, and b that they took it out. Like I don't know how it would fit in there. I think you judge his character more, maybe. Like uh, what, you, where he's coming from, right? And you may be preoccupied with that when that's not the focus of mm-hmm. the film. Um, it also takes away kind of his everyman quality. Well, that's why. But that's why Hanks is in this because because he's like he's got the, the yeah he's the modern day uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart. Absolutely. But I think if you get have him get fired because he's got some kind of issue or something like that, you can allude to it for sure. But if you really make that the focus of the film, you take away part of that. Mm-hmm. Putting yourself in his shoes, just a regular guy on vac- on a vacation, taking a few days off from work. Right. Well, and they'll you know, talk about the fact that. He goes on vacation and like, oh, let's go to the lake. And he doesn't want to do the same thing he does all the time. So he thinks that maybe if he just chills around at home, that's going to change things up. It's almost, right. it's almost, it's almost like either he 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 got fired, but he wanted to quit. It's almost like he was stuck. Right. He was, he was looking for some kind of excitement, like that middle aged thing. But I also read that he didn't want. He tried to get the kid written out of the of the. He he didn't think that he would. They should have kids. Like in general, not because he didn't like the actor playing the kid. Right. He he just he thought he wanted to just kind of be like him and Carrie Fisher living at this house. You know, I can see the kid doesn't do much. He's not in it at all. Yeah, he doesn't Very, add anything. Yeah. And he's like he's just kind of like there, like at a, it's just and they get and and I'll get onto this later, but and like they just basically get rid of him and his wife so they can have the right. ending. They're his like, wife comes back home without the kid. That was my first thought. Yeah. Was where's the kid? Hey, yeah, uh, yeah. So you, they do. They do kind of. They do. I guess he he does kind of get his way and writes him out. So yeah. Did you notice? Did you notice Ricky was wearing Michael Jackson's jacket? Is that what the jacket was? So in in my research, <laughs> this was the time when they were shooting this movie. This was when Feldman was really big friends with Jackson. Right. More to the point that he would. Jackson gave him Bubbles, the chimp, on set. So <laughs> Feldman would lock Bubbles up in his trailer when he'd go shoot. He'd come back and there'd be just crap everywhere. Like he, literal feces everywhere because Bubbles would do that. And it got to the point where it was so bad that Dante had to ban Bubbles from the set. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, so as soon as he, because he, he he only wears it once. He walks out and he's got the leather stuff. When he's with the girlfriend, yeah, they're watching right. at night, yeah. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, hey, MJ. <laughs> not, not Jordan, but Jackson. <laughs> so yeah, so I thought that was, uh, that was interesting. Very interesting. Because you don't really think, I mean, you don't think about back then. Just, it, it's, 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 it's very, not funny, but it's very interesting to revisit movies and revisit when they're shot and just kind of like characters the actors lives back then and what they were doing and just you know just everything around them the popularity because mm-hmm. Feldman's pretty pop is is a star at that point yeah because he did he's obviously off of License to Drive and obviously The Goonies and, I, and well obviously it's younger but is this post or pre Lost Boys this is post this is post Lost Boys okay Lost Boys was 80 I don't want to guess without because I think I'll get I won't figure it I want to say it was 84 but that's not right that's not right it's not 84 I got you it's 87 it was a year year before and I'm pretty sure that he did this movie he just came from this movie after shooting Dream a Little Dream I think that's what he was doing before this movie um, let me find out for you. Well, you I, mean, well, I mean, he was in the Michael Jackson short right before this, which... Yeah. That, uh, no, well, Dream a Little Dream came out after. Yeah, but that, he had he probably shot it before. Maybe, yeah. Regardless of that, he's a, he's a, he's a big star at this point. Right. Now, now, granted, again, we're talking about different decades. We're talking about different eras. Mm-hmm. So let's let's say because I was very surprised that he would do this type of movie. He well, would be a, 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 the fifth lead in this type of. Film. He did Gremlins with Joe Dante earlier. Well, now there's the other thing that I read something where he walked it. He like maybe it was written. Maybe it was what what I was looking at was written wrong or it didn't it didn't make any sense. But it was like he walked into the audition and didn't know who Dante was. Really? He came in and he was like, yeah, like Joe Dante was there with a couple of people. And he goes like, yeah, I'm looking for Joe Dante. Like, that's how it seemed. But again, that could be, I, I, it might have been written down wrong or I might have misinterpreted what I read. What I read. Mm. Yeah, but, but again, so put on your, put on nothing hat. Um, <laughs> if this movie is made today, if this movie is made now, and it's going to be made now, and you have somebody like Feldman who is a star, he's not doing this movie. He's not in this. He, I mean, why would he? Why would he? Why would he play fourth billing to to these people when he's obviously a big time act child, not even child star, a big time star? I mean, it's got Joe Dante, which I mean, if if what you're reading was wrong and he doesn't know, well, maybe right. he owes him because if you're looking through his filmography, it's a lot of TV stuff, and then I mean, I, he was in Friday the Thirteenth, and then it's just boom, Gremlins, which they came out the same year, so who knows filming wise what came out for what was filmed first? Yeah, but he's he's a star from Goonies. And he's a star from Lessons to Drop. Right, but Goonies came out afterwards, so I'm saying maybe he felt like he oh. owed Dante. And, I mean, he's not the main character, but he is... I mean, the notes I wrote, he's almost like your your view. I mean, I know Tom Hanks is the everyman character who we can put... You know, anybody can put himself in Tom Hanks' shoes. But he's the one watching this like it's a movie. He's the one commenting on the movie. I mean, at the end of the film, he does look directly at camera. I know, he does break the fourth one. Did you watch the alternate ending? I did. I didn't like it. I, I, yeah. If we're gonna go, if we're gonna go cons right now. No, no, no. We're not going cons. Okay. We're, we're actually just. I mean, we uh, can talk about what we're that doing later, right now. Is just kind of like going through our viewing notes, kind of like what we like. Absolutely, yeah. It's just kind of like what we noticed. It's but, pretty uh, much, yeah. We can go to, we can go to that, the, that, that the end. Right. <laughs> did you, did you, did you like the Tom Hanks burning cross joke? <laughs> did you, did you? I, 
I mean, he was just talking about the ridiculousness of the I whole know, thing. So, I mean, like, it was a little too far, but yeah. Yeah, it, it's still, I mean, you, I wouldn't say it nowadays, but well, no, I didn't it. think he meant it in an offensive way. Of course not. I'm not saying he, he just did. meant it in a, you might as well do that because what you're doing is, is Pretty ridiculous. Pretty much, but, but, yeah. the, but the joke of that is that so is he. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's right down there. And, but I, did, I also liked the rear window vibe from him. I wrote that down yeah, as well, watching. yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I was done. Well, even the music, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, the music is really, I don't want to say spot on, but it, it's apropos and, on a lot of scenes. Mm-hmm. He's a great uh, composer. He is. The other thing, not only are there classic quotes from this movie, like, Ray, this is Walter... Nobody knocks off an old man in my neighborhood and gets away with it. I'm going over the fence, and I'm not coming back till I find a dead body. Nobody knocks off an old man in my neighborhood and gets away with it. But also, you know, classic 80s movie shots, like the chainsaw on the wall. When oh, it's trying, yeah. When the chainsaw's coming in and he's looking down. The whole dream sequence is very yeah. 80s. But like, just there's, there's moments like in this movie that when someone says, oh, I saw the burbs, there are moments in this movie that I always remember. The chainsaw, one of them. Eating the sardine pretzel is another <laughs> one. The, the, the Ray, this is Walter, another one. Mm-hmm. You know, I always remember that. The Ray, uh, you know, Art, your wife is home, or, you know, House of Fire Wife, all that stuff. Pizza Dude is here. Like, I guess, I guess that got coined from this movie, Pizza Dude, but... So there's things in this movie that immediately pop out when someone mentions, "Hey, I saw the Birds of the Day." I don't think this movie gets a lot of the credit in terms of be- in terms of being a classic '80s movie. A part of the like when people say '80s and like, "Oh, movies from the '80s," and they they riff off of, they list off a bunch of movies. Yeah, I don't think this is one of the movies that gets listed, and it should. Absolutely, yeah, but it's coming toward the end of the '80s, so it's it's a movie that's learned from 80s films to begin with so it's not really the ones that inspired the ones from the 80s it's the one that learned from the films from the 80s that being said although it is very much an 80s movie you i think one of the reasons it still holds up today is because you don't need it to take place in the 80s it could take place now it could take place you know in the 90s it could take place whenever you might not be able to film it in the exact same style but the way it is it's not reliant on you know, technology. No one's coming up and Googling the Clopex to find no, out where right, they are and right. stuff like that. You don't need that in there. They talk about the story, the, the, the relatability of the right. story. Right. I always kind of look at some films that take place, you know, when I rewatch movies that took place in the 70s or 80s or even like the 90s. Like, uh, if they had a cell phone, that'd be different today if they had the internet because it's about the neighborhood and it's just about mm-hmm. that cul-de-sac. It really could take place at any time. Yeah. Well, that's a... Yes. I mean... As far as much as advanced as we are in terms of like what we have now to what we had back then, the internet, Google, the internet and Google, geez, phones, <laughs> all that stuff, like, you know, drones, all, all that stuff. We still all live in neighborhoods. We still all have neighbors. We still all have people that, you know, we, we have to kind of relate to. Jeez, uh, I don't know what I'm saying here, but you know what? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. I, I get what yeah, you're trying yeah. to say, yeah. I think the message to uh, psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases all over the world is uh, do not mess with suburbanites because, uh, frankly, we're just not going to take it anymore. You know, we're not going to be content to look after our lawns and wax our cars, paint our houses. We're out to get them, Don. We are out to get them. The things that make the movie work are timeless. Yes. And, but even, even to the aspect of if you watch this movie 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I still think it holds up just because of the just I think because of the the look of the set and the look of the movie, the fact that it's on a lot, I think that adds to it. Like mm-hmm. Back to the Future 
not to go off topic, the downtown of Back to the Future will always hold up because you everybody knows that, and honestly, this is probably right down the road from where they shot, is, <laughs> is, a, is a movie set. And you've seen it everywhere. You've seen that type of set everywhere. But that, because you know that, it, you, when you watch that movie, you immediately, like, oh, that's cinema. That, that's immediately equated to a cinematic experience because it's a set you have seen before. And it doesn't bother you that you keep seeing that set. So in the 90s, Offspring did a, did a, did a video, did a music video, and the entire music video was on the set of downtown Hill, uh, Hill Valley. Okay. So, but that's what's great about that is because like, oh man, that's Back to the Future. Oh, that's that lot. That's that. That's great. Oh, that's great. Everyone loves that. I think that, I think if you watch a movie like The Burbs where this location, because this location was where they shot Leave it to Beaver. Like Mayfield Place is, is the street of Leave it to Beaver. So immediately, you, you know, people that, like, you know, back then, 89, I'm 14 years old. Okay. I don't know that. But some, my, my father would have watched that movie, watched that movie back in 89, and he would immediately have been like, oh, Leave it to Beaver. My yeah. father, who thankfully is still alive now, can watch that movie and be like, oh, Leave it to Beaver. Like, that's the connection. And I think that, that's part of it, part of the timelessness, you know, it, it holding up in terms of, like, just, you know, would you watch this movie in 30 years? And would you still... Because there's some movies that... There are some movies that when you watch, you're like, whoa, that's dated. Yeah. You know what I mean? And... and that happens. It just happens. But this movie, I think, would hold up to that kind of litmus test. Sure. Absolutely. So now that I've gushed over <laughs> everything about this movie, why don't we go into some dislikes? Or maybe things we kind of had. I mean, honestly, I really think this is a nitpicking issue right here with a lot of it. All right. If we're nitpicking, can I tell you my biggest issue with the movie? Go for it. Um, Corey Feldman does not know how to eat a freaking pizza pizza. Can't go now. It's the best part. I called the pizza dude. All right. He does not know how to eat it. He does not know how to hold it. You're talking about the end. I'm talking about both the regular ending and even in the alternate ending. I thought maybe he'd fix it, and he doesn't. That's unfortunate. What is going on? He holds it like a burger. Go back and rewatch. If you didn't like notice, because it's just a little thing in his hand, he's holding it straight from the middle, and he's not holding it folded. He's holding it crumpled in his hand like a piece of paper. What's going on with that? I don't know if he's been an actor for so long since his childhood that he just doesn't know how to eat a piece of pizza. Um, it's worse than watching someone eat it with a fork and a knife. And I didn't think there was anything worse. But watching Corey Feldman hold a piece of pizza is probably the most uncomfortable thing I've I've seen in a long time. Well, I mean, not that I've researched this at all, but let's be fair. I'm sure that Corey Feldman was going through some personal issues at this time. Maybe some substance abuse issues at this time. So I'm sure that maybe had something to do with it. But I, I don't think I've ever been. I mean, it's obviously, weird. He's I did notice it again. He's like, hold on. And I remember watching it. I'm like, is he going to eat that? And he doesn't ever eat it. Maybe that's what it is. He never had any attention. At the end of the shot, he actually, the two garbage men are still there. Robert Picardo is one of the garbage men. Doctor from Voyager. Um, God, you nerd. That's right. <laughs> Tricky watch. <laughs> but he just, he just throws it in the garbage. But he still, he palms it down into the garbage. But he's holding it the whole time. It's just. Well, I, well then, you know what then? Maybe this then. 
maybe they've been you were using the same pizza the whole time and like they kept doing that shot and he just kept not because he's not going to eat it still hold it like yeah. a human being that's that's unfortunate i think in the alternate he does hold it and take a bite out of it he doesn't throw it in the garbage no in the alternate. i think he well in the alternate ending he doesn't look he doesn't break the fourth wall no but he's still holding that piece and of pizza and the alternate ending too is weird because he's half cut off you don't see him if you don't see when he says the line yeah you know it's 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 odd the alternate ending is not is not good. It's I wrote that. I mean, I when taking notes, I wrote down that it's it's a rough draft of the final mm-hmm. the final ending. It's just kind of the all right, take one, and then they watch it and realize what they yeah. need to do to fix it. It's not very different at all. Mm-hmm. It's just rough. Yeah, and to your point about Feldman, um, I didn't have an I had an issue not issue with him in per se, but like I know you're saying he's supposed to be us in the audience and all, and, and and all that. Mm-hmm. I. I kind of wish he did more. I kind of wish he was, I don't know, more involved. I feel like it takes away, if he's the narrator and he's who we're supposed to be watching, watching the movie, there should have been more of that. Yes. And Bruce Dern, when he's um, on top of the house, he shouldn't have been there. He should have been with um, Hanks and Mm -hmm. and Dukeman. He should have been in there doing something because Corey Feldman's watching this. You don't need you don't need two characters watching the same thing commenting at the same time. Right, right. The other thing that I thought or I didn't like was that Fisher and Shaw, they don't do anything. They're not doing anything in this movie. And, and you know, we could get into kind of like, you know, just how female characters were written back then. And I understand that Hanks is a star, but like, Dukeman's not a bigger star than Carrie Fisher. And, you know, no, absolutely. Bruce Dern's a huge star, maybe more so in the, from the seventies and, and late sixties. Uh, but you know, Shaw and Fisher are, are just—they're doing nothing, and they get like we said, they get they get rid of Carrie Fisher at the end of the movie because it's almost like oh, she's such a downer, and she's, she's going <laughs> to prevent Ray from you know flipping out. And I think I thought that they could do more. Why couldn't they get caught up in the uh, shenanigans? Yeah, no, I, you know. So and and that's probably has more to do with just you know writing back then right and yeah which is unfortunate but they also play the straight men of the story they're the ones that are true well Fisher judging the rest of them definitely Fisher yeah, yeah. Shaw kind of well because what's funny is that like Carrie Fisher leaves they have her they have her character leave with the kids so that Tom yep, to kill her nuts, son right? yes but Wendy Shaw doesn't fine. leave it's true so where is she so Bruce on top of the house from that moment when he is on top of that, ho- on that house and they're doing their thing where is she? Find me the deleted scene in some way. <laughs> so she's just in the house? Like, she's just like, okay, uh, you, I've been invested in this for a couple of days now. Right. Eh. They do just toss characters away when right. they don't need them. Right. So I, I, it would have been nice to have them in the mix, you know, and, and for whatever reason they're not. And I'm sure it's not a great reason. Well, in your random trivia, did you find out if Carrie Fisher was a script doctor on this film? Oh, I don't know. Because this is about the time when she started really doing some of her... Uh, her writing and stuff. Well, I, like I, the only thing I read was that like they did a lot of improvisa- improvisation. Mm-hmm. Hanks did a lot of stuff. But the one thing I noticed, the one thing I discovered about Tom Hanks was he was talking about character motivations, and he was saying that he doesn't like to. He doesn't like to. He, he'll find motivations on his own. He won't go. He's not an actor who will go to the director and consistently ask him, "Hey, what, what am I doing here? Why am I doing this?" Why? But he'll just go and find it on his own and try to discover, you know, why his character would do certain things, which I think is, which I think is pretty cool. I think that's kind of the job of the actor. Absolutely. That's I, like when I act on stuff, I don't ask my director for character notes unless I need them or unless the director comes to me with them. And obviously, you your job is to give the make the director's vision come to life. Sure. But so if the director gives you a note, you're using it. 
But as an actor, you're supposed to find the character within yourself because if you're just getting notes all the time talking about and you do this and you do this, this is why you're doing this, then you're not really acting the scene. What you're when you're on screen when they hit say action, you're just reciting lines like a robot. You're just mm-hmm. acting like a robot. When you have found the character yourself, it becomes more real, more believable, not just to yourself, but to the audience as well. Well, yeah, you're I, I, as someone as as a director, I don't like to I don't like to give line notes. Like I don't like to tell people how to say a line. I don't like to tell you know, I don't like to tell people like unless like we need to get a specific, a specific phrase in there, right? Because it's in, it's it's important to the story. You know, I tell people you know like whatever I've written, just you know make it yours. You know, just we're just looking for the general. You know, and if you come right. up with something that's either funnier or better, and that's fine. I think it's the director's job to help the actor in any way possible, but not not instruct the actor to do it their way because it's not going to be any interesting. Like when I watched, when I'm watching performance, and I want to watch something for the first time, I don't want to see something that I've written down and like, yes, do it like I, like it's been written or like I talked to you about, like, I'd rather have you show me something so that I can be like either, Oh, that's great. Or, you know what? Let's try this. I like that. But like, cause it's, it's a, it's all a collaborative process. It should be like that. And I think that, but, but not that we're going to go down this, we're going to go on a tangent. (laughs) Yeah. But, um, that, that has a lot to do with the confidence of the actor, the confidence of the director, the confidence of people on production and knowing that, you know, you're trusting the abilities of the people around. Like, like if I piss select you to be in something, it's because I think that this is a good character for you. If I don't want you to be in something, that doesn't mean I don't like you as an actor. It's just I don't think it's right for you. Right, yeah. That, that's just how it is. Well, you know what I like other than more than motivations, the director or whoever giving me the motivations? What I like, and I think you did it on one of the screenplays you wrote, is you started writing out the character histories. Yes. And I think that's far better than writing on the motivations because it's the actor's job to find that motivation but it's the writer's job to create the character Mm -hmm. and what he is going to do or has done or is doing so when you create a past you can really go now I know what my character would do I know exactly where he would be coming from I know you came here for uh, talk about the birds but now you've gotten some filmmaking stuff (laughs) (laughs) alright so the only thing I had that was a nitpick and dislike back to the birds the only thing I had was that um why would Walter tell the club to get his mail? I know that he does. Does he not like everybody else in the neighborhood so much so that he's going he's gonna to go be friends with the creeps that came that lived next door to him? Hey, get my mail. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it doesn't make it. It doesn't and, hold and, up. And, and, and if he had a massive heart attack or whatever he had, I don't remember what they said he had. He had heart palpitations. Okay. So in the midst of getting rushed from the hospital, you like, hold on, stop the ambulance. I, get my mail. And then, and then go right. <laughs> So that just – and all that is – and whatever – all – the whole reason for the mail thing is just so that Ray can find the toupee at the Clopex. Thus oh, absolutely, yeah. third act. So – and again, these are nitpicking. I, I, I do, there's not a lot I don't like about the movie because, because I know what the movie is. I know the movie is surrealistic. It's farcical and it's a, it's a take on suburban life and I get all that. So I'm not going to sit here and hold the magnifying glass to it and be like, that's not what happened in real life because <laughs> it's not. You know, like there's you're not going to – dog's not going to pull a giant femur from the other side. <laughs> other, other, other side of the house. Bleached white too. It's clean. Yeah, like a femur clearly <laughs> from a science – from high school. Um, one of the things I kept thinking about in the movie was where were Ricky's parents? Dead. 
<laughs> the Klopex got them first. Ricky's real last name was Knapp, and that's who they killed. Ooh, twist. That, Twisting. That, that'll, that'll be the uh, prequel, sequel, reboot, whatever. Um, the whole time I'm watching it, you know, you never wonder where um, Art's wife is, because they never mention it. All right, he's just got a house. Mm-hmm. But Ricky is clearly a kid. Clearly doing chores. Mm-hmm. He's painting the house badly. Where are his parents the whole time? He's got 25 people on his front porch. I mean, even like a throwaway line, oh, my parents are on vacation, or uh, you going to meet my parents at the lake, mm-hmm. Art, or something like that. Then they never really mm-hmm. go into that. Yeah, they don't. They, it's just kind of like, this is it. This is what it is. Deal with it. <laughs> There's just a kid. Here's the movie. <laughs> <laughs> One part I liked about the alternate ending, which I don't get why they cut, was the use of the Mr. Rogers theme at the very end. I really liked that part because of the they, they, Because they, uh, they used that because they were the, the Mr. Rogers theme, I think, was supposed to play in the opening. Okay, and they were they were doing a bookend, but he does obviously he does watch he it. He watches it and mouths. Which to I think the it's theme. funny that now he's going to play him. Oh yeah, yeah. Rogers thirty years later, I think that's great. I think that's kind of like a hey, yeah, <laughs> comes back around, right? So yeah, but I think that's why they had that. And I actually didn't like the uh, the the music at the end, Mr. Roger music at the end, in the alternate ending. And it's just like I I I didn't like much. I thought the alternate ending was long, but not, I, mean, I thought there was nothing going on. No, yeah, the lines weren't as good. Oh, one thing I do like is the uh, the trash in the road. That the trash is always there in the road after that. Oh, yeah, they don't clean good. it up; they just leave it there. Oh, I didn't. I forgot to talk about. Did, did we, I showed you the video right when Dick Miller passed? Oh, yep. Yeah, the the video of of Feldman goofing off, and he's like, "Shut the fuck up, kid. We're trying to act here." Yeah. Oh my god! I was like, "Yes, yes," and and like Feldman's trying to play it off. He's like, "Dude, the guy just told you to shut up." <laughs> and like, I think Hanks almost laughs in it, but they're trying to do the scene. So I think he stops, but I, I, I think he like lets out a laugh. And I, I thought that was How funny. could you not laugh? Yeah, it's it's, it's awesome. great. That's awesome. This guy's got like Dick Miller comes on the set. He's got maybe like what five lines, and he's telling the kid they shut up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love that. So basically, our final question, which we always ask at the end of these, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, should you revisit this? And obviously, yes. I mean, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, like like. like this ep- this episode is 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 a little different in the in the in the facts that like I know a lot of people like the Burbs. It's not a shock that people have for- no. I don't think a lot of people have forgotten the Burbs. I just think that younger generations it, it would be unfortunate if they didn't realize that Tom Hanks was is 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 a great comedic actor. Absolutely. Before he became what he is now, and he's a great actor. Period. But he he was I mean he was doing hilarious stuff, and this is one of them. Mm-hmm. In the in the eighties, yes. So I think, I, 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 but this whole, this whole movie encompasses what the eighties was about, good or bad, uh, however you however you think. And I think that um, it, somebody who's probably fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, that who's listening to this or who's looking for a new a movie, I think this episode is for them. Absolutely, in terms yep. of like why you know after they watch it and want to know what's the big deal about it, this is what, what we've just talked about is why we think that it's important to not forget this movie. So I think, yes, you should absolutely revisit this. You should own this on Blu-ray. You should digital download it legally. <laughs> you, you, you should do all that um, because it's worth it. It's, an absolute, it's a movie that you should have in your collection. Right. That's how I feel. I would totally agree. I think it's not forgotten, like you said, by the people that watched it when it came out or... You know, in the late 80s, early 90s, but today it's kind of dropped off the pop culture uh, radar. And you don't hear about this film 
half as much as you do hear about like Groundhog's Day and Ghostbusters and yeah, stuff I mean, like that. I, I mean, I, like, but it's I up like there with Groundhog's the top Day. 80s comedies. I, I like Groundhog's Day. Oh, yeah. I like Ghostbusters, the original. I mean, these movies that everyone talks about is great, but nobody ever talks about the burbs. Yeah. You always you always bring it up and you're like, oh, yeah. It's like, no, you should. This movie's really good. <laughs> like, you, you mean, you love Gremlins. Joe Dante did Gremlins. This, is, this movie is almost like Gremlins is one. This movie's almost like 1A. I said it. I said it. I'm not, I'm not. I'm not shying away from that. I'm, I'm speechless. I mean, controversial. Uh, that's. Uh, I don't. I don't know about comparing it to Gremlins, but I'm not comp- it's I'm, great. I'm not comparing it to Gremlins. You may uh, give it a. You gave it a one saying, B. What I am. What I am saying is that it should be talked about when you talk about classic '80s movies like Gremlins. Like, okay, that's okay. what I'm saying. I'm saying that it's up in that stratosphere. It shouldn't be. Like, oh, it's 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 cult classic. I don't. I I don't think it should be a cult classic. I think it should be. Classic eighties. Sure, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Okay. Is that okay with you? Hold on, let me check. <laughs> yeah, alright, it's alright, it's alright. Alright, so plug time. Why don't you well I'll plug first. Okay, you okay. plug first. So what I've got now is I have as I talked about earlier in this episode, I've written two books. One is called Adam Parker and the Radioactive Scout, which is available on Amazon. And it actually it's available at, you know, just go to Amazon. Go to Amazon. <laughs> Uh, in Kindle form, but Kindle form is actually only a dollar, and print edition, which is six sixty, I believe, six dollars and sixty cents. I wrote that book about three or four years ago. I just come out with a follow up called Adam Parker and the High School Bully, which is available with Kindle two ninety nine and as in print form at nine fifty, uh, and then you can get that at Amazon. That's exclusively that one is exclusively at Amazon. So those are the two things that I have right now that are you know up. For if you know, you can the, the newest stuff that I've done, the high school bully. I do have my personal website, michaeldfield.com, which has just you know, I have a blog on there, and I also have just kind of anything new I'm working on usually pops up there. So that is my plug for this episode. All right, and my plug is uh, more podcasts. I've got a podcast I do with my brother called Two Player Bros. It's a podcast uh, about video games done in the format of the old video game magazines of our youth, where we talk about anything from PC, Xbox, PlayStation 4, and Switch, all that kind of nerdy video game stuff. And I've got another one called Cracking One Open with Mike and Elise, where me and my fiance Elise crack open a beer with you guys and from a craft brewery and talk about Brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Whoa. Did, did that purpose? Did you say that on purpose? Oh, it's, oh it rhymes. Bad. Yeah, no, it's great. That's, pa- that's <laughs> poor form right there. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm sorry. I don't mean that. I'm not. Listen to his podcast. <laughs> don't buy his book. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously join us next week uh, where we'll discuss uh, a new movie. The, hopefully uh, you maybe you can discover another, another movie that you have long forgotten. So thanks for listening. Uh, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you've listened to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. God, I love this street. Mm-hmm.